Hello, everybody. I'm Tony Kalo, and there they go with the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. The Auxiliary Gate. Everybody, welcome to Auxiliary Gate number 170. I am out of sorts this evening. I'm actually doing this at work on my phone. Not happy about it, but luckily I've got my two friends that are going to see it through. Talking about horse racing's favorite influencer, Alan Schneider. <laughs> oh, I will never be confused as an influencer. I feel like I'm struggling myself, though. We got you. And of course, racing's Fifth favorite beard, and we'll talk about the top. We'll talk. We'll talk about the top four on a different podcast. But I'm talking about none other than Jeff Ricks. Yes, sir. It's good to be back. I'm sorry I missed the last one, but I really enjoyed the interview with Steve. Y'all, y'all did a good job on that one. Thank you. Yeah, Steve. Steve was great. Now we could probably talk to him for three, four hours. That was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. To be honest with you, that was Steve Cawthon. In case you didn't know Steve Cawthon, yeah, and that that, that sometimes it's a cliche. Yeah, you could have talked to him. Talk to him all day. Maybe we maybe we will talk to him all day one day. So we'll see. Yeah, we could put together yeah. maybe a twelve hour podcast exclusive omnibus is what they call them, right? Or is that what they do in Congress? Have an omnibus or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Although, okay. in fairness, I think we're cooler than congressmen, right? I mean, we're more moral, I would say, right? Yeah, it's fit. It's well, fifty fifty. I think we're somewhere between influencers and congressmen. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some news. Uh, not much going on other than, uh, of course, Bob Baffert, as we all know, is banned from this year's Derby again. Looks like uh, his owners have decided not to transfer horses away from him. They're just going to skip the Derby with all these nice horses, May Moon, and I know there's a few others uh, that, that uh, they're they're just going to probably skip and go to the Preakness. Uh, guys, uh, any thoughts? Any thoughts on that? God. I've got one. Jeff, you guys go ahead then. Well, I was, my thought is that the, you know, the Derby's bigger than these guys. I mean, it's going to be a fantastic field of 20 regardless. And, I, I agree uh, with that. I think we're getting a good Derby field regardless. Um, I have seen the argument that it might be, you know, work out for some of these horses in the lot and run looking at, you know, horses like National Treasure who have, you know, kind of flourished through going farther, not shooting for the Derby, but. Man, if I ever had a shot at the Kentucky Derby, I think I got to take it. And uh, honestly, I'd rather see somebody like Eric Reed win it than, uh, of course, what we've seen. Yeah, what we've seen over the last ten years. So yeah, that's I'm all for it. But uh, I understand if you take a different position. That's 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 completely I would, understandable. I would just quickly say, it's like as you said, the Derby is bigger than that. I don't have a strong opinion. I don't get tore up on Twitter, but I have to take this side of an argument. This side of an argument. I don't care half the time. That said, um, in, in this instance, and let's see if I can remember, remember my point, I'll just be happy if you get 20 horses in the starting gate because I think we have a tendency to overlook the fact that late last year we had five or six scratches the last week, correct? And we ended up with, what, I don't know, 14 horses. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's a bigger issue to me. 
if their owners want to stick with him, I, I don't have a problem with that. They got the right to do what they want to do. Trip does what they want to do. Whatever it'll. By the time they actually that race day, we won't even think about it. It's you know what I'm saying. It's just part of that pregame hype. I did see that today they announced that the Derby's going to be drawn a week in advance this year. So that's more I don't important. Know how. I, that's more important to me, quite frankly. I don't care who runs, who doesn't run. I mean, with that massive card, I'm not big on marathon cards anyway, but I do uh, like that marathon card. That's my exception to the rule, and it takes some time to go through that. So I, I really do. I, that's more important to me than everything else. Yeah, I'm yeah, all for it. So they're going to draw. I assume they're going to draw on a Saturday Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. I, I know they start the opening night would start probably like six o'clock. I assume they'll have the card out by then. Hopefully. Yeah, I could, I could handicap a turf weight card in like 30, 40 minutes. It takes some time to handicap a derby weekend card. I'll, I will tell you that. <laughs> at least to have like at least a legitimately to go over that field where you actually feel like you have a confident um, grasp on the races, whether or not you win or lose, but you kind of know um, that that takes some time. So I do appreciate that. Well, especially with the Oaks, the day before you've got 12 or 13 races to handicap. And by the time you get through that card, you're exhausted. And then and you've got, uh, you got Derby day, you know, right after that. So that's, yeah. So many other things going on and stuff too. So yeah, good way to help budget your time on a, what's quite frankly a busy week. Okay, so uh, we've got a special guest again, uh, another fun guest, hopefully, and uh, we're going to meet her right now. We're going to take a break and, and come right back with our guest. Okay, now we're back, and guys, we've got a special guest. We've had uh, people from all walks of the Thurbert industry on our podcast since we started this. We've had trainers, owners, jockeys, uh, racetrack, or excuse me, race uh, track announcers, excuse me. Uh, we've had people in the front office, and we've had fans, had handicappers, had betters. We've never had anybody from the racing office, and that is one of the most uh, – I'm curious about how, how the racing office works, and so we've got somebody that can help answer some of those questions, and I think we probably got – we, we – uh, we punched up, as they say, and we've got somebody <laughs> that really knows the industry inside and out. And uh, this uh, person is a graduate of the University of Arizona, and she's got an extensive resume, worked in Arizona, California, Florida, Illinois, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And she used to be the assisting race, excuse me, assistant racing secretary at Churchill, from 1996 to 2006, she's worked for the Breeders' Cup. I think she served on the Graded Stakes Committee. She currently serves as the stakes coordinator at Keeneland, and right now she's the racing secretary at Tampa Bay Downs. And I'm talking none other than Allison DeLuca. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy Did to I be get here. There- did I get that resume right? I, I Pretty much. Rushed. I got it. I have to be honest. I didn't graduate from U of A, which has haunted me for my entire life. But I quit to take a job in the racing office at Sportsman's Park. And I don't recommend that. Everybody should finish. Finish school. Finish school. I think it worked out all right, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It did, but I'll tell you. I still have nightmares about it. It, it, it you know. I should have finished, but anyway, I somebody um, called me from there, and I just dropped everything and went and started working there. 
I've got you. You started as a racing secretary. I think that, that was one of your, not your first position, but that was your first time as a racing secretary. At Sports, yes, it's Sportsman's in, Park. Yes. 1987. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that track. Uh, the people don't remember Sportsman's. It was. It's kind of like a bullring track, right? Five furlongs. Yes, it was a bullring. And, um, you know, it just outside of Chicago. And, but I'll tell you something. I, I, you know, you always look back and Sportsman's was a bullring. That's really, you know, the, the one, the only bad thing about it, because a lot of people, you know, don't want to run on a bullring, but, it was one of the best run tracks I, I ever worked. It was clean as a whistle. The money was good. It was fun. And uh, it, it was a great place. It really was. And, you know, I mean, this is just, yeah, I don't know if you're interested, but, you know, it it was Al Capone's track. Wow. And, <laughs> of course and, we're interested. Yes. <laughs> so that was and when I started there there were two guys that still worked there that had either ridden as a jockey for Al Capone or worked for Al Capone in some other capacity. So it was very exciting to be there, I'm gonna tell you. It really was. If I could interrupt real quick, CC, wasn't Sportsman wasn't the dirt track over top of a auto track, a racetrack well, for cars? Not when I was there. Um, it, it, they did that later. They did two things that I, you know, I don't think were very good for it. They, they elongated the track. That's after I was done there. And, but they didn't do anything about the turns, which the turns were the problem, you know. And then after that, they made it a car track. You know, it was on top of a car track and they had car racing. So, Mm. You know, I wouldn't say that that was a very good move, you know. Gotcha. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. I 1987 was, I think, a year that uh, one of my favorite horses was uh, racing. That was Lost Code. I'm pretty oh, sure Lost Code made yes. it to Sportsman's at some point, right? Yes, Lost Code won the Illinois Derby. And then he came back and he, he won our um, National our, Jockey Club. Our National right. Jockey Club, exactly. Yeah. You know more than I do. You remember more than I do. But but he, I'm going to tell you something. I remember watching him win the Illinois Derby. And probably that's the first time for me as a younger person to see that I really was looking at a great horse, you know, that, you know, a young horse that was going to be a great horse. And he, he was a great horse. You know, that horse ran the same every single time. And he he was, I really think he was a great horse. And, um, I just think, you know, one, one thing I thought if he'd have skipped the Arlington race, I think he would have won the Haskell. I just think he was raced a little too much, you know, but he, he, he took his racetrack everywhere, right? He, I mean, did. he, he raced everywhere. Yeah. That, that, so the, the horse was so cool. He just go, he would go straight to the front. Mm-hmm. And just run everybody off their feet. Beautiful black horse and yep. had had cool silks. And I remember they braided his, I think they braided his mane. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was so proud of him when he ran in the Haskell against uh, Ali Sheep and bet twice. He finished like a close third. He did. There. Yeah. He, he was really something. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, uh, I got a lot of questions. I don't know where to start. Okay. But, you're stakes coordinator at Keeneland. Yes. So 
Explain in the, that. In the fall, not just the fall. In, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. What 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 does that mean? What is the stakes well, coordinator? Well, they have two meets, and well, obviously, and then stakes coordinator really, um, especially at Keeneland, you know, before you didn't have stakes coordinators, you know, whatever, quite a few years ago, they just people just nominated, and that was it, you know. But now it it, it almost every track that you know, does pretty well, has a stakes coordinator. So what you do is, you know, you you have to try and reach out and get the best horses you can get to come. And I got to say, at a place like Keeneland, it's not very hard because everybody wants to be there. What's hard about Keeneland is 10 stakes close the same week at Keeneland. That is hard <laughs> because you know, you, you have to reach out to a lot of trainers and you have to, you know, make sure you don't miss anything. And, and these days people text, they email, you know what I mean? There's a lot of ways to get a, to get a nomination. So you want to be very careful that you don't leave someone out because say you're busy and somebody texts you, you know, you might not see it or things can happen. So you just, you have to be very careful. And, um, but so what you do is you you get all the nominations and they close and you put all those noms out. And you put them online for everybody to see. And then you just immediately have to get them set up like you need to. If they overfill, you have to set them up in the priority that they could get in. And the thing about it, you know, at Keeneland is you do have people come from California and other places. So you you got to get them from top to bottom and start at the top and start eliminating horses because people will ask you, Oh, am I going to get in if I fly there? You know, so you've got to really be on top of that and, and, you know, make sure what you're telling them is pretty accurate. Well, that leads me to my next question then. So I was going to ask you, what, what are the purpose? What's the purpose of a nomination? If you're going to nominate to the stakes, why, why is that a big deal? Why, why do you have to do it so early in advance and, and pay the, you know, the whatever the fee is, the hundred dollars yeah. or the five hundred dollars? What's right. the purpose of that? The purpose is to so that we know who has who wants to be in that race, and then when we get the nomination, after that it closes. We have two weeks to, you know, figure out if people are going to come or not. So. Um, that's why you need some time, you know, to 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 set up the race and and reach out to people. And then, you know, they have other choices, too. And so you you do need a couple of weeks, you know, after the closing to um, to get things together. OK, so now, since you do this in the fall, I know mm-hmm. Keeneland has the, the the Shavel Turf Mile. Yes, that's one of and, my favorite races. Yeah, and then the, the Queen Elizabeth Challenge Cup. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel, how do you feel out potential uh, horses from Europe? What do you, is there, is that well, something that we you? Well, we actually, we actually have a gentleman named Ed Prosser that works for Keeneland and he kind of handles the European, he handles all the European horses. So, you know, he, he's in England and he, he gets in contact with all the European hor- horsemen. And then we work together, like he'll tell me, he'll email me and call me and tell me that, that such and such is interested. And, you know, 
And then I just pretty much handle, um, you know, the United States. So let's say you mess up. I mean, I'm asking you this because this is this would be something I do, right? <laughs> I would do. So if, if if you mess up and and you get a full field of like 16 for like uh-huh. a breeder's Cup charity and and the, the 16th horse is a California horse, yeah. does that really matter? Because you're getting a full field. I mean, is it is it something that could damage a relationship with a, with a trainer from that's shipping in or? Well, this is it is so funny that you should ask this because this actually happened, and it wasn't. I'm I'm not trying to reflect, you know, blame, but it really wasn't my fault because I start at the top and I usually don't reach out to the to the very bottom because you don't want to give them any hope because they're probably not going to get in. So you start at the top and work your way down. And so Peter Erton from California shipped without speaking to to anyone or asking, you know. And he got in, you know, town and the horse arrived and, you know, he came in the office, you know, the, the race was drawn and he was on the altos and he came in and he goes, oh my gosh. He said, you know, I said, Peter, I am sorry, I, you know, and, and I, you know, he was so nice about it. He didn't have a fit. He didn't blame anybody. He did. And Ben Huffman, the racing secretary and I just, we were, we were talking to him and just said, look, you know, sometimes there's just, there'll be scratches. So, you know, just this is a big field. Maybe you'll get a scratch. Well, he got two scratches. He drew in and he won the race. And it was the greatest story, you know, I've ever been involved in. I mean, because he was so polite about it and, and didn't scream and have a tantrum or anything. And he was rewarded. He, he drew in and he won. It was so exciting. It, her name, I think, was Madam Cactus. But Raven Adam. Run was that the Raven Run? Yes, was, it was the Raven Run. Yeah, I remember that race. Do you? Uh huh. Yep. It was Madam. a great story. Ben and I tell that story to people all the time, you know. Awesome. But he he was so nice about it, and um, but you know, you should, especially at Keeneland. You should reach out and check to see if you're going to get in because everybody wants to run there, you know, and and you could wind up on the also. So how how honest are are the big trainers? You know, they're the pretty have, honest. Yeah, I was, if if a trainer's got three or four horses, maybe two year olds, and they want to, especially in the fall, that you've got the champagne, you got the British right. maturity, you got other. And they don't necessarily know where they're going to send them. I mean, they they're pretty right. upfront with you about what's going to happen. They really are. They're very, you know, they are all very organized. And I'm not saying they know like immediately where they're going to run, but they're, they'll give you an idea that, that they might be there. And, and then, you know, pretty close before the race, they'll, they'll tell you they're going to run. You know, they're very, very good, very good about it. All right. I remember way back uh, when Unbridled was running. And I remember, I think it was Oaklawn, the people at Oaklawn mm-hmm. sent uh, his connections like a gift basket of like, uh-huh. you know, whatever, whatever horses eat, carrots and and mm-hmm. oats and stuff like that. Is, is that something that you've ever done to, to try to or you just send out a gift or a gift card mm-hmm. or anything like that to a potential owner or trainer? Well, when um, when Howard Battle was racing secretary at Keeneland, he sent. I, I went to California to 
to try and get horses for the stakes. So he he said, do what you want. I don't care what you do. So I sent all the barns that run with us a lot um, for their help. I sent out a muffin basket to every barn like a week before I was getting there so they'd know we were coming. And, and that went over pretty good. And I think it's a smart thing to do, but I can say – Nowadays, I don't think, I don't know, we've gotten away from that kind of thing, and I don't know why, but we have, you know. Right. Um, you know, like in unbridled. What's that? I was going to, in the unbridled case, they were trying to get them to come to the Oakland hand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a very nice gesture. You know, I think, I think anything you do like that is a good thing. I really do. And, um, to, to let people know they're appreciated, their horses are appreciated. And when we, at one time at Sportsman's Park, we gave everybody that ran in the Illinois Derby a halter with their horse's name on it and everything. We used to do a lot of that, but they had money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I don't know if you do this at Tampa. I don't know if they even do it anymore at all. But they, I remember they used to do supplemental nominations for, you know, stakes, maybe – They'd open it up and there'd be like a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars fee if if you missed the nomination stage. Is, is that something that is that a yes. practice that you still do? And we do is, it at at Tampa, yes. And most do have a supplementary nom. And what I did, I don't know, a few years ago, I changed the nominations to being free, and then you had fees to enter, start, and then there was a supplemental nomination. But um, I like the free noms because sometimes people don't want to nominate and you just want to get them to nominate, you know, and when it's free, you know, and sometimes it works out because they're in there and maybe something happened and, you know, or the, the race came up short or something. So, but yes, we do have supplementary nominations too. Okay. All right. I'm going to stop myself right here because otherwise we'll, we'll talk all night. <laughs> Which is fine with me, but I'm not sure it's fine with you. So I'm going to let these other guys ask you some questions. Then, okay. Then they're, going to, they're going to throw it back to me, and I'm going to ask you a million more questions. And then you're going to get <laughs> sick of us. So, uh, Alan, we'll throw it to you first, and then, yeah, just uh, just take it away and, and see if you get any questions for Allison. Yeah, of course. So uh, this is actually fascinating to me, Allison, because I'm getting to learn something that I've always been a little bit unsure about, right? So uh-huh. I, and some of the questions – I may ask your our listeners may hear may seem a bit pedestrian maybe some no answers I don't so I you know this is this is educational for me as well as uh, fun I'm gonna start with the fact that you were at Colonial for four years right and you're at Tampa and I bring those two tracks up off the top of my head because there's similarities there that like they both had like a rebirth right they've been blossoming to, in a large extent so mm-hmm. first of all it seems like you you have a lot to do with that number one right at least in my mind that uh, these tracks seem to be trending upward, correct? Yes. Um, you know, I think both tracks are very lucky in that they have two, you know, they each have a great turf and dirt course, yes. you know, and that means a lot, you know, it, it really does. And, so, um, but, you know, I think people are excited in Virginia to have racing back. One thing about it, those Virginia horsemen are into it. They are so thrilled to have racing back and they have a great HBPA there that actually works with the racing office, you know, and, um, they, you know, they're just excited to, to, um, 
to be open again. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I guess what, I, what I'm I guess what I'm leading to is as so I'm gonna go the racing secretary route, right? So mm-hmm. we've talked about how it is to fill races at Keeneland, right? And you, it's a little different story there. People want to come to Keeneland, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of money involved. There's good yeah. money at Colonial. There's good money at Tampa. But is it a do the challenges of filling the entry box? Is it are there? Is it harder there, or has it been a pleasant surprise? Because in Virginia, you just have the one racetrack. In Florida, you've only got a couple. Is it easier than you think it is, or harder than you think it's filling the entry box on a day-to-day well, basis? you know something? Tampa, um, Tampa has always had a culture of expecting people to run, you know? Yes. And, <laughs> and, and it's a good thing because, you know, they they just don't they don't really want you to just come in and train. It's not that type of a place because we really have to run races to make money there. And but the other thing is Tampa is hard because it's a long meet. It you know, it, it's it's mm-hmm. 90 days and 4 days a week. And last year, last season I don't ever remember. It was fine up until the last month, but but a lot of people leave because they go to Keeneland and of course. different places. And we used to have tons of horses in Ocala that would get us through the end, but they have dried up. So I got to say the last month of Tampa last year, was very difficult. It, it, we made it because I have a, a crew that is unbelievable. These people, they are unbelievable. And, you know, one thing you should know is, you know, we have to recruit horses to run in races. You just have to nowadays. There's, there's no getting around it. But, you know, they're also very good. If somebody says, oh, no, this horse isn't, that's it. We don't, we don't want them. Don't worry about it. You know, we, we don't, you know, recruit horses that shouldn't be in there, you gotcha. know, and, and, uh, but it was very hard the end of last meet, you know, it just was, I, I'll be honest with you. And I'll tell you, you know, the racing's got a lot of problems, but I'd say one of the main problems is the full crop is so yes. low now. And that's gonna, I don't care. I don't care how much money you have sooner or later, that's gonna, I don't know. They they got to do. Some, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but that's our problem: is the full crop. Yeah, at time, it's at some point you're going to, have to pay the piper, right? It's kind of like the yes. federal deficit. We know we're going to deal with you. Keep trying to push it off, but it's going to be reality, right? So yes, and, and the thing is, people can't afford to keep cheaper horses anymore because everything is so expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got to to Tampa, um, this is my 18th season there. Wow. When when I got there, you could throw up two or three races any day and split them. I mean, of cheap horses, you know, and that just now the 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 races we have the hardest time filling are cheap races. It's unbelievable because people that. don't have the horses. I can see. I've noticed that in the last 15, 20 years, just everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. That the nickel claimers aren't there. Now you might have the one other than allowances that overfill and things like that. Right. But the nickel claimers, the, the bread and butter horses don't seem to be there like they used to. No, so. and, and and you know the thing I like 
the cheap horses too because you, you know I can remember these little guy little trainers they'd come back every year they'd have one of those horses you remembered from last season there's perfectly good horse could win but he just his level was 5000 and I don't see anything wrong with that as long as they still like to run you know mm-hmm. and but you know it's just getting and you know all the like a lot of little calibrators that they're not breeding anymore you know so Oh really? No. You know. So going back to the challenges of being a racing secretary, right? I know, and I've always wondered this. You write, you know, you write races, right? You write mm-hmm. condition races and stuff. So do you have, as a racing secretary, and maybe this is different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, do you have carte blanche to write the race as you see fit or that you feel you need when you want to get quote unquote creative? Or is it a deal where there is a regulatory body that says, no, you just, you just can't open up, uh, the race to all horses with, well, one eye or or whatever. Right. Like, you know, is is right. there? Can you do it, or is is there a regulatory body that says, "All right, that's enough"? No, we. I would say. I mean, I know anywhere I've been, I could write what I want. Now, I do know. You know, a couple times. You know, sometimes the HBPA wants to request races, and you can do it or not do it. You know, but um, I know. You know, in Virginia, the Virginia horsemen want to look, they look at the condition book and stuff, but that doesn't mean you, you have to do what they say. You just try and cooperate and do the best you can, you know. But one thing I found over the last, you know, few years, you gotta write less races, not more, because of mm-hmm. the horses. And the, you gotta bring horses together. Everybody, you know, somebody's probably gonna have to run maybe a little bit where he doesn't belong, but you can't, you don't have enough horses to make all these different categories, you know. I got you. And I bring that up because going back, I'm, I'm 53 years old. So I, I remember Churchill Downs from the previous decades. I'm a little billion, right? Mm-hmm. And every Halloween, and maybe you know where I'm going with this, they would ride a race called the Grey Ghost. Yeah. Where it was eligible. It was, the, it was on Halloween every year and mm-hmm. it would be, it was eligible just for gray horses, registered gray horses. I know grown horses were allowed to be in it. So, mm-hmm. I, and in that case, I'm I, the rec- racing secretary appears that he, he could do whatever he wanted to do. So I always wonder about how much leeway a secretary has in, in a situation such as that. You could do that. You know, when I was in Chicago, <laughs> uh, Lucille Ball died. So we wrote, wrote a race for chestnut fillies only. That's and, awesome. And it filled and it was kind of fun, you know. Um, but you can, I, I think you can do, you know, I would say most places the racing secretary can write what he wants, you know. Now, sometimes you don't get to use what you want because of the turf course or, you know what I mean, if 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 we're being too hard on the turf course, we got to back up a little bit. And Yeah, that, that leads me to my last question before I kick it to Jeff is, mm-hmm. does it get frustrating? Maybe, I mean, there's nothing you can do about weather, right? Right. And uh, I know at Tampa you're going to get some weather, right, and some mm-hmm. other places as well. You you – you put together a great card. You got a, you get a wang bam, wang bam of uh, ten horse field, twelve horses that you just love on the turf. You excited about it. it's going to bring in a lot of handle and boom, the weather comes and it's down to four. It, yeah. It's got to be a little frustrating. Are you guys trying to do the anti rain dances or yeah. how's that go? Yeah, it is the, like this. Meet this is the the most I ever remember. I think we were off for almost over a week, which is unusual for us. Like we couldn't run on it at all. And, um, and it is frustrating. I'll tell you, you know, the, the one, the one, you can't do anything about the weather, but the, the one, the, 
couple days I don't want that to happen is our big days like Sam F. Davis and and Tampa, Tampa Bay Derby, Derby because that kind of you know and I don't wish that on anybody not even my competitors because when you get rain on your big day it just puts you know it, it just puts a damper on everything I know that sounds you know pardon but, the pun right but it does it it's is. a pun that's what I was trying to think of but it does you know kind of spoil things so those are the days you really don't want you know anything to happen but you can't help it there's nothing to do about it you know because you know i'm thinking about it they'll still play football right you'll still have a packed house in football and you know if the baseball doesn't go i mean they'll just cancel the game but horse racing they're going to go it I would think that, that they're going to go, but it really does hurt handle, it hurts attendance, it hurts, it makes everything more difficult for everybody. It does. It, 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 it's a unique situation, the way weather affects horse racing. Oh, just, it's amazing. Yeah. It, and it does for me personally. I know the better it does. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not playing that, but you, you probably figure that out, right? So, mm-hmm. I'll you know, last you meet um, yeah. on our Tampa Bay Derby Day, it was just. Not going. I don't want to. It was just a perfect day. The weather was perfect. We had like two scratches, and we had you know full fields. And and the main thing, Tampa is a great place for a patron to watch the races. Hey, Amen. I love it down there. Isn't it? I mean, yes, I love it, Tampa. It, it's just a great place for patrons, and they can walk right over to the paddock and be right on top of the horses. And I just love it. I mean, it it just. Uh, it's a great place for racing. It really is. You got a great announcer there too, and Jason. Oh, Dean, I know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we a got great a great job. everybody. Everybody works hard at Tampa. They really do. It's uh, I I want when I retire, I, I really might move down there. I, once these these kids get taken care of, and I'm confident. You might, I might be looking for a house down there. We'll see. Hey, maybe you're going to get a job in the racing office. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see. All right, Jeff. All right, hey, I've enjoyed every bit of this so far. It's just cool, you know. It's a it's a part of the part of the game. I'm not super familiar with, so I've just been listening intently with everything. I do have a couple questions for you sure. on on the racing secretary side. How do you even go about starting to put a condition book together? Like it seems like such a daunting task, and it does. You, know, you probably have an idea what the trainers and types of horses will be, but you know, a lot of moving pieces. Like where do you start when you go about that? Well. Every racing secretary does things differently, um, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm doing one now that's due on Thursday, and you know it, it, it's very stressful. I'll be honest with you. Oh, um, sure. And uh, you know, everybody just has their own little pattern of doing things, and I I try to write a book that's pretty consistent. And then people ask you for races, and if they're smart enough to get to me before I I <laughs> write the book, I will put them in there if they make sense, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like just one way I get started is I put in the maidens first. I, I always put four maiden races a day. And because, you know, you got to – there's just – the book isn't going to go every day, so you just have to – a lot of a lot of races like okay you put sure. the race in it gets four one day so you bring it back and you make it the next day you know and um you know there's no specific way to write a condition book i mean i i would think everybody that was a racing secretary would tell you they kind of had to learn 
you know, you ask people and then if you're lucky enough to, you know, come up under somebody that was willing to help you, you know, but I think everybody has to feel their way through it. And you just, um, you just decide what your parameters are going to be. Like there's certain races you're not going to write. And, um, or, you know, like I'm a big, you know, believer in, you know, the claiming races beyond the 25% scale, you know, like I don't like 15,000, it's 16,000. Cause if you're claimed for 12, five, you got to run back for 16. So I don't, sometimes it bugs me when people don't write the claiming scale, you know, but I, I don't know why it bothers me, but I'm saying I wouldn't do it, but um, they're just things. Um, and you want to be fair. It, it's hard. It, it's hard because you, you, you do sometimes, write a race for someone and then you know people get a little they don't want to go in there it's a tough horse or this or that but you want everybody to be able to run every horse they bring there and if one's tough well you know <laughs> it's too bad I mean so but it is a it's a very it's a it's a very um it's a hard thing to do Oh yeah, it sounds like it. And then that kind of leads into my next question too. Like, what kind of tools do you use to keep track of everything? Do you have like a big Excel spreadsheet for like all the horses and barns, or like it just seems like so much to keep in mind? Yeah, at the same well, time? for the condition book, I just have this paper. I took it from Churchill Downs because nobody wanted it anymore. Jerry Botts used to use it. He was the racing secretary there for many years, and. um it's all it is is like graph paper, but it's like cardboard and it's a mess. I mean, it's only for me. No one else is going to look at this. It's got coffee stains on it and everything, but it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a graph and, and I'll, you line up the type of race you write on the left hand side and then you just write. I have six books. So right now I'm going on to book four and it's all, I just keep taping this graph paper on and on till the end and it's just one big long you know, piece of graph paper. And then every day I put what races went and how many we used. And, um, and then like right now I'm looking back at last year's for, um, Tampa Bay Derby day to see what races we wrote and how well they went and stuff, you know, cause it's good because you can, and when you get started, like in the beginning of the meet, someone will say, well, this race go, well, I don't know yet because we haven't started the meet. So I look back on last year's and I'll say, oh, well, this did go early last year. Or some races take two or three tries before they start really going, like for, you know, the two and three-year-old races. Yeah. But um, so, you know, it is, it, it is, um, it, it's stressful. Once you get that book out, it's like, oh, thank you, God. It's just, you know, <laughs> and everybody's waiting for it. When's the book coming out? You know, and it's like, Oh, it's awful. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, wow. I'll be much yeah. happier that, Thursday. That's what I'm going to do. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, going to the, I guess, kind of a different part. What is, what's the thing you most enjoy about your job? Um, well, I don't know how many racing secretaries would say this, but my the enjoy, most enjoyable part of my job, believe it or not, is taking entries and filling races. I, I like that. You know, and and I also like talking to trainers, believe it or not. I mean, I I do. I respect these people and what they do. And and they got a really hard job. And and 
there are many, many, many trainers I like very much. I mean, uh, I will miss that when I retire a lot, you know, uh, talking to trainers. I really will. And um, it's just I I really and now it's getting harder and harder. I just don't know how they do it. I mean, Sure. So my last question before I turn it back over to CC, it's not even really, well, I guess it's sort of horse racing related, but a little bit not. I know you've worked in seven or eight different states. I'm not sure how many now. I know CC mm-hmm. listed them off at the beginning, but mm-hmm. what is your favorite city that you've lived in? Oh, that I've lived in. Um, well, I liked Chicago a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and my son actually lives there. And oh, okay. he was born there. Um, I guess, you know, as far as a city, I would say Chicago, you know. Awesome. Yeah, it. has that sentimental value as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Now, if cool. I had money, which I don't, I, <laughs> I would love to live in New York City. I'm oh. originally from New York, but I would love to live in New York City. When I get to New York City, I don't know what it is, but... I feel like I belong there, only I can't afford to be there, so I really don't belong there. But I, <laughs> I love New York. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, cool. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, taking time with us. Uh, CC, you I guys are so nice to be question. interested in this stuff. It's, it's, you know, we, it's we generally we really are. Yeah. This isn't an yeah, act. We are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank Allison, back, back to me. I've only got 37 more questions. Okay. So we'll try to go through these quick as we can. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I do have a few more questions. Uh-huh. Has, there, has there been a push to get away from claiming races? Well, everybody's trying to figure out what you would do, you know, if you didn't have claiming races. You know, it would be like some kind of starter because of, you know, with HISA now and stuff, I think, you know, there is that. Um, but – I don't know. I, I don't know how you do that because horses have to seek a level. They can't, you know, uh, you know, you, you have horses that people breed. They think they're going to be, you know, really something and they turn out to be a claimer. And, and I hate to say this, but in the old days, you know, a lot of owners let a horse seek its level. They, you know, that, that's what they did. And now everybody has to somehow retire everything. You know, I, I don't get that, but, yeah, but. but I've always wondered, like, like let's say I have a well-bred filly that's mm-hmm. not that fast, mm-hmm. but I don't want to lose her in a claiming in a yeah. claiming race for fifty thousand. Right. But she's not good enough to run them against some maiden special weight. Is there something there in the middle? I know they're doing the the auction maiden races. I like those yeah. a lot, and they're yeah. doing Keeneland does the maiden one fifties, which nobody right. rarely claims right. a horse for one fifty anymore. Is, right. is there some type of Middle ground where you didn't have to run for it. You're, has it ever come across your desk? Maybe not. Maybe we'll, not we'll, here. It hasn't. Yeah. No. Um, I tried a couple of the auction races. They got like one horse or two horses. It didn't work. You know, Kentucky's lucky because they just they just have so many horses in that area, and um, so it didn't work for us. Um, but I know that is a problem when you spent a lot of money breeding a horse and stuff and and it turns out not to be um what you thought it was going to be um but i don't know and and you're right you know they could um i know dan borks the assistant at churchill downs and, and he 
he always tries to figure out these ways to let horses run. It would be like some sort of starter where you don't ever have to run for a tag, you know. Now, we write races at Tampa, but, of course, you would have had to – ours are, like, say, if you've started for 25 – non-winners of two and then you could also run for 25 in there but you would have had to start for a tag so that doesn't help a horse that you don't want to ever run for a tag so there's probably some way to do it and um probably a good idea because maybe it would keep some horses around you know so uh, handicap races are a thing of the past now i mean you just yeah. don't there's not very many of them do you was that part of your job at some point to, mm-hmm. to, well, to assign weight to horses. Yes, and actually, though, um, when I was at uh, Colonial, I loved Housebuster, and I had a, a three-year-old uh, overnight handicap called the Housebuster going seven eighths, and I, and I think it, I don't, they might still have it, and um, but I like that because. Um, I don't know. I, handicaps are a thing of the past because you just – a lot of people don't want the grief of arguing with trainers and stuff about mm-hmm. it. And um, I I worked for Jerry Botts at, um, at Churchill Downs, and he he was an amazing racing secretary and handicapper. And so four of us were lucky enough to work with him, and we'd, we'd all four do our weights, and then we'd compare them. And Ben Huffman was in this group too. And, um, so it, it was, you know, you kind of learned a lot by doing that, but I'd say it's, you know, a thing of the past. Now, you know, in Europe, they have the NARC ratings and, and, you know, they still do things like that. But I think in, in the U.S., it's kind of gone. Now, people still do little handicaps. I think, didn't uh, Gulfstream have one on Pegasus Day? Yes, they did. They, they did. did. They do that every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, and you know, we have one called the Manatee Handicap on our big day, too. And it's fillies and mares, uh, four and up, seven eighths. And I don't want to jinx myself because I want it to be good this year, but we got 12 in it, and it was a great race. I mean, and they weren't, you know, the purse was only 40000 and it was 50000 if you're a Florida bred. But it gave those horses that aren't really stake horses a chance to – run for a little more money and you know it, it was a great race it really really was do you remember the the most weight you've ever assigned to a horse yes when when lost code came back to run in the why can't i think of the name of the race national jockey club yes the national jockey club i put 128 on him okay and, and i'm telling you you know the the general manager never said anything to me except when when we had to handicap him and or maybe it was it was either 128 I forget, uh maybe it was 129 i it was it was up there because <laughs> i remember um <laughs> thank god um the trainer's son had him at at he was at um sportsman's for a couple weeks and his son, his dad was kind of upset, and his and I showed his son the PPs of the horses he was going to run against, and he told his dad, "No, dad, this is fine." And he still won by seven or something like that. <laughs> and then when he when he went to the next track, he carried less weight. So there you go. But great horse. 
You know, he was a great horse. He he really, really was. Yeah. Okay. I All can't right, believe now, I can't remember the exact – I'm going to have to look it up, but it was high. We'll, yeah, we'll find it. We'll find it. Mm-hmm. So, all right, the last set of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does a trainer go about entering their horse in just an everyday race that, that happens to be in the condition book? Just say a 5,000-hour claimer. How, can they text it to you? Or they, they can text it. Email people, or – People do – well – I'll tell you what happens in a racing office. You get your favorite people you like to deal with. So a lot of guys will text to the same entry clerk every day. Um, I'd say most people call, but I'll tell you that everybody that works in the racing office has to use their own cell phone because people, they don't want to call into the switchboard. They don't, you know, everything, you know, this now, everything has to be immediate in our business now. I mean, it's like, so um, but people, most people call, they call somebody, whether they call an entry clerk on their cell phone or they, they do still call on the office phone. Um, and, but most of them call. I personally think it's dangerous to text, uh, an entry because if somebody got real busy, they could miss it, you know? Right. So how far in advance can, could, will a trainer do that? Oh, no, you shouldn't do it till, till the day of. Okay. Um, now, some guy's going out of town. He might come in the office and say, I want to put a – or even call and say, I want to enter now because I won't be here tomorrow. And that does happen. But, you know, mistakes happen. And one thing, I think texting, unless you get a, you know, get a real response from someone, that would make me very nervous. I wouldn't like that. Right. And then when you get all the entries, uh-huh. do you – Give a computer program that assigns post positions, or you still do that pill pull thing that they do at the Oh no, we or? pull the pills. Okay. Yep. And and but nowadays, this has kind of been a an interesting thing. When COVID hit, um, we now do the draw. All the agents get on Zoom. So when you're getting ready to draw, you put this this tablet on the on the you know where you're going to draw. And then all the agents, you know, are on there and we, you know, we let them into the, to the draw and it goes, it's really, that's one of the greatest things that ever happened in COVID because it just seems more organized and quieter. And although I'm going to tell you something funny, I always thought, you remember when Churchill went to, um, oh, that the Derby draw and, you know, to me, that was the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, you're talking about when they they would draw like an order of of they they would draw an order of draw in the morning and then they have the the, the drawers select post positions at at night. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and and just yeah. in general, like that they had that formal looking draw and everything. To me, in the old days, all the agents were at the draw. Trainers could be at the draw. Now, if you wanted to get people interested in horse racing, you would have had them look at that, not that funeral procession they did at Churchill. I thought it was horrible. I mean, you know, it just wasn't racing. You know, it it was it. You know, I think people I have an uncle who's been around the world. He's done everything. And I and he was and he's a horse racing fan. He goes to Santa Anita the day after, you know when it opens every year. But I I had him and his wife come to Churchill, and that's kind of before it got corporate. And 
I took him to the jocks room. I took him in the paddock. The next day we went to the, the, you know, the barn of the winner of the derby. He said it was the most exciting day he had ever had. And this isn't, this isn't a guy that's a, you know, he's seen a lot. And I think people like that old fashionedness of racing. You don't Agreed. you or not? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I just think we shouldn't get so far away from how it used to be. I know I sound old and I am old, but, uh, there are just certain things, you know, you know, I wanted to be like part of the sting, the movie. I didn't want to be in corporate America. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just think there's some things we should do the way we used to do. You know? Oh, no question. But anyway, I probably said that and I shouldn't have, but whatever. <laughs> All right, Allison, that's, I'm, I'm going to cross the line through the rest of my questions. Otherwise we'd be here for another three or four hours, which would be fine okay. with me. But Allison, we greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you're the, you, you can take the honor of being the first racing secretary to be on the auxiliary gate podcast. Thank you. And you guys are great. You're, you're really interested in racing and it's a great thing. It is. Well, we're, we're all going to lobby for a job to work with you at some point. So <laughs> keep that in mind. I'm Better talk to the, the people who work with me now first. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Allison. Thank, uh, thank you. you for your time and, and maybe we'll have you. Have you or meet you down the road some point? Yeah, uh, I hope you maybe see you at Keeneland or someplace. Oh, we'll, definitely. Yeah, we'll yeah. definitely be there. Yeah, I'm no always in the office. It. Stop in. <laughs> you got All it. All right, Allison right, Deluca. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was our first foray into the racing office with Allison Deluca, and that was fun. It was a fun interview. I, I enjoyed that. I need more of that in my life. I need to know what's going on back there in the racing office. I, you know what? That she isn't. Excellent interviewee, is she not? It's, it's, uh, she, she done this before. She's really good, very informative, extremely pleasant. Uh, I mean, I wish we'd had more of these guys on the best. We like, we do like getting, trying to touch base with as many different people as we can. I'd like you to starting gate. We need to get some starting gate workers on here. It's my personal thing. I mean, yeah, I've said it before. We'll talk to Chad Brown. He wants to talk. But I mean, I I want to talk to all the people, and she I'm I'm so glad we had her on, Jeff. I am too. I thought it was it was super informative and very interesting, and as you said, she's a, a great interviewee, and um, it, I thought it was a great conversation. I'm 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 jealous of anyone that works at Tampa, in the Tampa that's area. So. Boy, ain't really that the truth? That's yeah. that's almost disgusting. You know, yeah. it's not fair. <laughs> I tell you what, I do wish. Uh, I had asked her about how these the Sam F. Davis and these Tampa Bay Derby cards are looking down the road. Uh, I think it's the Sam F. Davis this weekend. I believe it is. I believe it is. I, yes. I, honestly, I haven't even looked at anything. I, I think it's the the Sam F. Davis this weekend, and then Southwest the, and uh, the Holy Bull. Holy Bulls this week. Bob maybe. Lewis, maybe the Bob, Bob Lewis. Lewis and the Southwest at Oakland. Yeah. Great, great Saturday of racing. But let me uh, see if I can think of these Tampa stakes. There's like. Don't they usually have the Gasparilla and the Sun Coast and maybe the right. I want to say the Minaret? Does that sound right? Brandon maybe. Jagger stakes. <laughs> I want to say they do that on the on the Sam F. Davis car, but maybe that's Tampa. They, I believe that's right. I, I may just be spitballing here, but I look forward to seeing what she puts out for us at uh, at Tampa. You know what I'm saying? Yep, looking forward to it. Anyway, so that's uh, that's all for now. So, so that's all I've got. Uh, anything else you want to add before we? wrap up no no i just uh it, it was a it was a genuine pleasure talking to allison 
Yep, yeah, completely agree, 100%. Okay, let's, uh, let's put a bow on this one. On behalf of Allison DeLuca, the Racing Secretary to the Stars, and, of course, Brandon Jaggers, who was absent, Jeff Riggs, Alan Schneider, a host of others, and a cast of thousands at home listening on Apple, Spotify. Oh, by the way, if you're still listening at this point, you haven't fallen asleep, hit the like button, hit the follow button, and leave a good comment, because we love nice comments. <laughs> we do. <laughs> do we? Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. And in the words of our spiritual leader, Jerry Romans, we're not happy unless you're not happy. Good night.